0: So long.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Hustle. It's John Lamoureux. Okay, this week we are talking to Tony Demur. Tony was the frontman of the British rock band The Fabulous Poodles. I don't know if anyone remembers The Fabulous Poodles. They were big in the 70s. They were one of those bands, like a lot of others at that time, who crossed a lot of genres. They were part pub rock, part power pop, part new wave. Uh, They put out three or four albums throughout the 70s. In fact, their first album, self-titled from 1977, was produced by John Entwistle of The Who. And you guys will have to tell me, I don't know of another production job by John Entwistle except for that album. Uh, They never had a ton of hits, uh, nothing major like Top 40. This song right here, Mirror Stars, did get some regional airplay, did pretty well regionally depending on where you were in the country. So if you were listening to the radio in the 70s, you may remember this song. Well, by the early 80s, the band basically came to an end. And Tony did a drastic transition into comedy. He became more of like a comedy writer and performer. Uh, He changed his name, or at least his stage name, became Ronnie Golden. And uh, that's basically what he's been doing ever since. In fact, he tells a story in here about befriending the guys from The Young Ones. Do you guys remember The Young Ones? That was huge for me back in the 80s, that show. In fact, he appeared In a fairly famous episode of The Young Ones, he talks about it in here. You may be connecting some dots, like, that guy is also this guy? I love stuff like that. You may do that, depending how nerdy you get about that kind of stuff. Anyway, he continues to do comedy to this day, and uh, I just thought that was a really interesting story to tell. He also talks about uh, when they toured America in the 70s, they were opening for Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. So he tells a lot of Tom Petty stories, and... He, the, the Poodles backed up Chuck Berry. Now, you guys should know by now, anytime Chuck Berry's name comes up, it is ripe for golden, golden storytelling. Remember John Pasden from Off-Broadway and the crazy story he told about backing up Chuck Berry? It's just like that. That guy was a kook. Now, I got to say, this was a listener request. Hub Ragell mentioned the Fabulous Poodles to me, I don't know, a couple years ago. And I tell the story at the beginning of this podcast, this interview with him, why that was a very revolutionary request, because uh, the Poodles are partially uh, to thank for even starting this podcast. I explained it at the beginning. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this. Uh, Maybe you're not as nerdy as I am about British rock and British comedy and all that kind of stuff, but I think it's a fun story well worth hearing. He's a great guy. Uh, He called me from his home in London. Uh you don't know this but um you're actually partially responsible for me even starting this podcast. So I'll give you i I'll give you a heads up. Uh about Good 7 time. or 8 years ago, I was in a kind of a weird-looking thrift store here in Denver where I live. And <clears throat> sorry. And uh there's I always I don't collect vinyl but I find weird records that I've never heard of very very uh I'm just, I get obsessed with it. Like, wh- who are these people? Where did they come from? The people, these people yeah. felt so strongly about what they what they had to say that they got to put it on a record. And then it just, it's here floating in this weird uh, thrift store here in Denver. And, you know, they're off somewhere. What's their life like? And I just became obsessed <laughs> for years about the, you know, what's that like <laughs> for people? And, uh, yeah. and I go in this thrift store and there's, mirror star by the fabulous poodles kind of staring at me and no offense i'd never heard of you at that point
2: right okay
1: and i'm just like see if this is what i mean exhibit a where in the world are the fabulous poodles who who are these people and that kind of that kind of just urgency around having to answer that question ultimately caused me to just decide, I'm, I think I'm just gonna start a podcast because I wanna talk to people and find out what their stories are. And so here we are. So let me, and so after the after I found that record, I went through kind of a poodle, fabulous poodles rabbit hole, listened to all the music, read up on stuff. But this was a while ago. And after a while, I forgot. I remembered that seeing that record, but I could not remember the name of the band on the record. Cut to a There's few right. months ago, one of my listeners, Hubra Gel, sends me a request, which I throw out to my listeners, and he says, what about the Fabulous Poodles? And I said, you know what? I think that's the band that sparked this whole idea in the first place. And sure enough, it was. And so, I mean, it, it's not like it's changing the world or anything, but here we are almost four years later, and I've got to talk to several of my favorite rock stars of ever, and I've got to share their stories with thousands of people, and it's because... Of the level of curiosity I had looking at the cover of your record in a thrift store one day. Isn't that weird?
2: So basically, yeah, basically you're just blaming me for wasting your time.
1: <laughs> my wife might blame you for wasting time. <laughs> I feel very fulfilled. I can't speak for the rest of my family. <laughs> but anyway, okay, so I had to tell you that uh, quick little story. Let's go sure, to Sure, sure, that's good. Everything that I read, now I wasn't there. I, of course, discovered you guys much later. Everything I read is that a lot of the things people say about the Fabulous Poodles are what are they? They're a little bit pub rock. They were some of your sense of humor reminds me of madness a little bit um, right. You don't sound like madness. You sound like a little bit of everything. What went into the formation of this band? Not to mention the fact that you guys were po- supposedly super funny and did crazy antics on stage. Was that all pre-planned?
2: uh it wasn't really pre planned it's just it's the way it came out i mean uh the the history of the band even though we only lasted really about five six years um yeah about six years uh it was it was very different when it started we were uh we were a five piece with keyboards and uh and there was a violin in the band Bobby and uh uh I mm-hmm. was basically pulled in as a kind of front man for it because uh I was quite sort of gregarious and uh a bit of a show off and uh i I wrote songs so uh so so Bob Suffolk, who was the the keyboard player, he said well I, you know you'd really be an asset to the band, so we were just called poodles at that time right. uh, and and Bob claimed that the inspiration for that name was uh was my my room in uh, in Finchley in North London because he's, it's it's full of nineteen fifties stuff and absolutely crammed with it, you know. And he said, yeah. uh, you know, that's uh, that's the kind of image. Poodles, are very fifties, you know. Uh-huh. But uh, I I never really liked it. It sounded like a kind of girly group name to me. So uh, one day, uh, John Parsons, who are uh, was our kind of creative guy and I co-wrote songs with him. Uh, John came up with a, a really nice poster for us which said, The Fabulous Poodles, and I said, that's our name. Mm. So, uh, so we, we went with that.
1: Now, <laughs> a name like that just feeds this um, kind of attitude of silliness that it seems to be sort of permeating the band. I know you went on to comedy. Were you a funny person or a aspiring comedian when you joined this band?
2: Oh God, no! I, the oh. last thing I would have wanted to do would, would be comedy, really? and yet, <laughs> uh, and well, or be a comedian, let's yeah, say. Okay. I mean, I, I I I've always liked comedy, uh, although it was very different from from when I was a little kid to what people are doing now. Sure. But uh, it was, uh, I was just very, uh, it, it just came out, you know, I, you know, the ridiculousness of it all, and I started writing very ironic songs and uh it just Mm -hmm. it just the the band kind of moved in that direction
3: uh
2: and and i was really surprised that we got a record deal like we did because Mm -hmm. uh we so we so weren't punk rock you know we uh we we took we took the mickey out of it basically um (laughs) which upset a few people Right. And uh, uh, we did one thing. We did we did like uh, we did a kind of punk version of uh, On the Street Where You Live from My Fair Lady, really? which uh, Bobby, the fiddle player, used to crew. I had a giant razor blade I wore on my head. We used to kind of spit at each other and then spit at the audience, and it was just completely bizarre. Wow.
1: Where does the (laughs) impetus to do these kinds of things come from? Are you sitting around as a band, kind of rehearsing and thinking, this would be kind of fun, or I've never seen anyone do this. Okay. Yeah,
2: quite quite often. Quite often things do come from that, you know. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, jokes for my acts uh, come out of just... Sitting with with, with friends uh, in, in the pub, you know, and uh, like like for instance, there, there was a guy. I mean, a few years ago, who uh, who was caught uh, uh, trying to light some uh, some explosives in the soles of his trainers on on an aeroplane. Luckily, nothing happened. And uh, right. somebody in the pub said, uh, "Do you hear about that shoe bomb guy?" And I kind of went, "Shoe bomb." shoe bomb life could be a dream. bomb if I could blow this plane to paradise. Very sick.
1: You're just built Very that sick. way, it sounds like.
2: But it's, yeah, it's yeah. Just, you know, different things trigger different, you know. I mean, I find it much easier to be around people and then come up with ideas.
1: Yeah. Okay. So you get signed. Are you creating some kind of a buzz? I don't know. I I assume you're located in London or if you weren't all before you went to London to get discovered, are you creating a Uh, buzz, performing with other people? We we,
2: we were all, we're all London based. Uh, Okay. Bobby, uh, Bobby and uh, Bob Suffolk and Bryn, the drummer, were all from South London, but I I was from North. Okay. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Okay,
1: so what? Who were you playing with when you're coming up in the clubs? I mean, this is a really hot time for music in Great Britain at the time. Who are you? Who are you chummy with? Who are you performing with? Well, uh,
3: Squeeze.
2: Uh, ah, there you go. Yeah, they opened for us at, at the Marquee Club, uh, and uh, we became good mates with Glenn and Chris. And, uh, and Dire Straits, we used uh-huh. to drink with Mark and uh, his brother Dave in, in the local pubs, you know, yeah. it was great, it was a very exciting time when we could, uh, we were all, you know, we were all excited and, and uh-huh. having a go at it. And it was, uh, yeah, it was great. It was okay. a great time.
1: Sure. So you guys get signed to Pi. Pi is a pretty yeah. well known label. And you, how does John Entwistle of The Who produce your album?
2: Well, uh, that was a kind of uh, the brain brain wave. What do you call it? Brain. um, uh, Basically, it was it it was a very good idea, an inspired (laughs) idea from our our A and R man. Yeah. Oh. uh, Really. Yeah. He he sent some demos to uh, to John. And uh, and John liked him, so wow.
3: he
2: invited he invited John and his wife Alison to come down and see the poodles at uh, a, a very popular West London venue called the Nashville Rooms, mm-hmm. and, uh, mm-hmm. and and we worked all the time. I mean, we worked all over the country. And we worked the London circuit. There was a very healthy circuit at that time. And we'd have a monthly residency at the Marquee, which was uh, a feather in the cap because uh, uh, it, it was a very uh, respected venue. Okay. And, uh, <clears throat> and the Nashville rooms, too. And uh, they came along. And uh, <laughs> John Innes' wife just couldn't believe it because people were pogoing up down and they were spitting at the band mm-hmm. and we were spitting back. I mean, it was not a healthy
1: time for, <laughs> right. to I've, go out and see music. I've you heard know? horror stories yeah.
2: Oh man you wouldn't believe it. They were coming at you like lasers yeah. and uh, and so afterwards I found out and she said to John uh, you're not you're not producing that band and he, he said but why not? She said because they're just, it's just horrible and filthy and, <laughs> and he said I like them. I like him. I'm going to produce him. So, uh, so he did. And we had a great time with That's him. He amazing. was wonderful.
1: He doesn't have a ton of production credits. I think
2: we're the only band apart from his solo stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think it was odds and ends or, or one of those, uh, uh, who albums right. that he produced. Uh, but we were the only other band that, mm-hmm. that he, uh, that he produced. So, uh, So, yeah, I was pretty proud of that. That's crazy.
1: Can you share uh, John Entwistle's story? Is he a demonstrative producer? Does he sit back and let you do your thing? What kind of advice is he giving you? Well,
2: I mean, he always worked with this guy, uh, Serrano, who was his engineer, who was very good. Mm -hmm. And we used Rampart Studios, which... uh, which, which John part-owned with The Who. Mm. And uh, it was a gra- it was a good room. It was a good live kind of room. And uh, we, uh, he, uh, he was just really, uh, he was just very supportive, you yeah. know. He, he, like for instance, uh, one of the songs, uh, Pinball Pinup, uh, mm-hmm. I just did a guide vocal while, while I played the guitar.
0: I see the flippers in your eyes I see the lights flashing when you smile I see you- that came again I walked into the cafe I saw you standing there
2: i did i then tried re-recording it and that. and he went no we'll sit with the guy that, that that's got all the character in it and Interesting. uh and then he'd come in and he'd say right i'm going to put down some uh some keyboards uh like uh synth string parts on on uh, particularly on on pinball pinup which mm-hmm. we mixed in with the violin and uh and then he played uh, eight-string bass on Workshy, and on, he played on a few things on the album, which which we thought was a buzz, you know.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now, did that album do very well, and were the I don't know? Do the do the Who help promote you in any way, or do they stay out of all of that?
2: No, they they very much stayed out of okay. it. Um, no, no, it didn't do very well at all. It didn't sell very well, but it it, it kind of created a bit of a buzz, and uh, we we didn't really start selling any records until we uh, we toured the states. Yeah. And, uh, we were very pleased to see that everyone was really into what we did, actually more so than uh, the UK.
1: That that has always really kind of surprised me, because you seem like such a British-centric <laughs> band. Your sense of humor, not that it's not universal, I mean, a song like um, Tit Photographer's Blues. I make my money by
0: shooting chicks. A boss trigger finger and a box of tricks. the strip right down and- rattle my chair for a close-up shot of some short curly hair. But the smile fades when my camera's away. They come, the come here, looks, they stop for the day. I got the pit pit tit, photographer's blues. It's underwear and a cliché. Never play, they never seem to want to know. I see they gone gigolo. I got the pit pit the photographer's blues. A good time, a country hotel, we'd wine and we'd dine. Well, things seemed okay, and she ain't uptight. When we make our way to our rooms that night, I close it smiling and make my play. You can cut that out. I've had enough for one day. I got the tit 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 photographer's blues. It's underwear and. Never see,
1: so one that's a universal theme i think everyone can find that funny but in general it's almost there's almost like a monty python type quality i think to some of your you know humor I,
2: I, yeah i i think so in a way and also uh there was uh uh, what was I going to say? Uh, you, you, there were a lot of references in there, like mm-hmm. B movies, uh, right. and a, a lot of it is is very English uh, mm-hmm. in a way. Right. That's why a lot of people compared us with the Kinks, which uh, I was I was
3: you know very honoured to right. have
2: because uh, they've always been them and the Who have been like my two main bands when I was growing up. Yeah, and uh, so so I was really surprised when when people really went for all that but then I guess it's you know when I was 14 or 15 I listened to Muddy Waters and Howlin' and yeah, Wolf and they were singing about backdoor men and hoochie coochie men and all that and it was uh it, it, it's the it's the uh, the attraction of the unknown I think yeah. which is uh, which is kind of nice
1: very good point so tell me about also then the second album, Unsuitable, working with Muff Winwood. Now I don't know that much about Muff, but I am a big Steve Winwood fan. Did Steve ever come into the studio? Did you ever cross paths with him? And what's Muff's like? No,
2: no, not at all. I, I, I'd love to meet him because mm-hmm. uh, I, I was also a big fan of, of Steve Winwood. Uh, but it, no, mm-hmm. he lived out in the country, so uh, it, you know I don't think Muff and he uh, saw that much of each other really. Mm-hmm. And Muff, of course, played bass with the Spencer Davis Group yep. with, with Steve. Yeah. Uh, so, so no, but Muff was Muff was good to work with. He was he was kind of he was different. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he was he was kind of more hands on, and he would make he would contribute ideas. Like uh, I, wrote, when I'd written Vampire Rock, I had a I had a different riff on it.
0: Whirling round the stones, somewhere off, wild creatures moan. The graves are opening, one by one. They always shine the light of sun. Faded robes. Singing all old-
2: And then we, we did that daft almost throwaway instrumental Pink City twist, mm-hmm. and, uh, and he said, why, why don't you just move the riff from that to, to Vampire Rock, and then and do the other one as, a, as, as, as an instrumental like that. Had some some nice ideas, and nice little uh, vocal harmony ideas as well, and he was a good guy to work with. He had a great sense of humor.
1: Okay, and were these guys when they bring when they come in? Are they um, <clears throat> are they trying to? Are they looking to amplify the humor aspect in you? Do they understand that that's part of what makes you guys unique, or are they wanting to be more of a straightforward rock band? Uh, I don't really think there was a big issue about that. Okay. I
2: personally wanted to make records that sounded really good yeah. and that was, that, was, that was good good pop music, good beat music. And, uh, you know, the, the humor was always much more in the performance, uh, the live performance than it was okay. uh, in the records, you know.
1: Okay. So how does this, when you come to America, what's that like for you? I mean, I saw the clip of you on American Bandstand. That had to be just surreal, talking to Dick Clark.
2: Yeah, well, we, we actually didn't know the kind of legend that Dick Clark was. <laughs> uh,
1: and, it's a little and bit so of an I'm, awkward interview, by the way.
3: Oh,
2: it's, <laughs> I know. I'm just an arsehole in that. I'm just, oh, I can't believe I was being so cocky and rude to it, you know. And uh, everyone was going, well, you're just Dick Clark. You can't do that. know. I went, oh, sort of, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, uh, but you know what? He was an absolute gent. All the way through, uh,
1: right. he was he, he, he was terrific. You know, uh, you know, we were just you know young and cocky, really. Sure, <laughs> sure. So, what was America like for you? I mean, I imagine this was the first time you guys had ever really been here or spent a lot of time here. When you're on this tour bus going through Middle America and like cornfields, are you just thinking, "This is our dream come true. This is what I always wanted."
2: Yeah, I mean, certainly in my case, that that was the case. Uh, you know, when uh, when I was in my teens, and uh, everyone was talking about India, uh, going to India to mm. find themselves, and I said, I don't go to India. I want to go to the States. You yeah, know. Yeah. I, want, I want to go to Babylon. <laughs> uh So, uh, so, 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 yeah. It was certainly okay. a dream. I, I think most people from my generation were absolutely in love with the whole post-war. Uh, the cars, the sure. the women, the clothes, yeah. everything was was just so glamorous because it was a very grey world in the UK uh, post-war. Uh, you know, there were restrictions on food and, yeah. and, and 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 a lot of stuff. and You know, very dowdy and people dressed down and then you look at pictures of Elvis and all that and you go, wow, that's yeah. brilliant. You know?
1: Yeah. When you came here, what was... What was one of the first things that you had to buy? I'm, I'm guessing you're not rich enough to buy a car or anything like that, but do you stop at a truck stop and get, you know, I have to have this wind chime or I, I don't know. What what do you say What blows your mind? Like, wow, I have to have this.
2: Um, I, I'm i not sure. I mean, I, I, I always like kind of uh, cowboyish stuff. Uh-huh. So I, I remember buying a bolo there you uh, go with a snake on it you yes. know and uh <laughs> yes. and, and i got some and we were down in dallas and i got myself a pair of uh of uh red uh red cowhide and uh black leather boots you nice. know with uh, winkle picker toes sure. and uh, uh you know yeah I, I certainly got into all that
1: okay fun were the uh women better or the drugs better or anything like that You don't have to answer that if you don't want, but I mean, come on, this was a while ago. (laughs) Uh,
2: Well, yeah, you know, there was uh, a degree of fun in both areas on the road.
3: Uh,
2: Yeah, yeah, it was great. Yeah, the women were very uh, accommodating Accommodating. and and had a lot of, yeah, they were, actually, you know. a lot of the time, because you're 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 working with like when we were with the Heartbreakers uh, and their big road crew, and we had our guys, and uh, you know you spend too much time around blokes, and and you just think, oh, some female company will be very welcome. <laughs> so you you befriend
1: people, and yeah, and you know I had some good times, you know. Yeah, sure, sure. Tell me some other story. I mean, do you have a Tom Petty story? And I think you guys toured with the Ramones. Did you get to know them at all? Uh, no, we didn't tour with them. We, I think
2: oh. we did three dates. We did oh. Toledo, Ohio and whoa and Chicago when it was really freezing some zero temperatures, and we did the New York Palladium. Uh, and on none of the occasions did we hardly share a word with them. They were just really? so locked into their their own yeah. thing. You know, it was like, it was so weird because we'd hear them uh, as we were just about to go on stage. We'd hear them go through their whole set uh, with the drummer on a a uh, plastic uh, pad Uh and and unplugged guitars. You could just hear them faintly buzzing. and, uh, And they went through their whole set. And then we'd come off, and they go on and plug in, so everything was like a thousand times louder and a Uh thousand (laughs) times faster. It was just crazy. You know, 25 minutes later, they're done. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That's crazy. That's what you hear about them. Yeah, they kind of stuck to to a template. What about, I think... They were great. They were great. I love them, yeah. I think I read somewhere, maybe it was even on your website, I'm not sure, but you interacted with mine.
2: Yeah, I mean, in his... uh, He's kind of folky Dylan days of uh, the early seventies. Mm. Uh, he he used to be the he used to be the MC at the uh, the Beckenham Arts Lab it was called in South London. Now I lived in way way North London. It took me hours to get there, but okay. I go down pretty well every Sunday night and get up and, and do a few songs. And Bowie used to uh, be the compere, so he introduced me and used to chat with him and mm. uh, and uh, he asked me to do. Uh, a solo set uh uh before he went on at um at this place uh in in south london so i did like 45 minutes set with him and uh yeah he was he was he was a great guy you know okay. he's always been sure. he's always been brilliant but all he right. was also a really nice guy as well you know yeah
1: that's what i've heard from most people uh what about tom jones i think you had an interaction uh, with tom jones or something
2: not at all no i mean we were so wet behind the ears. Uh, I, that was just, a, that was my first band, my first school band. And, uh, oh. I was, I, I was like 18 or something and that was my first professional work. We were backing three girl singers called the Chantels. And, uh, we, uh, we, we got onto uh, the Tom Jones tour. Uh, you know, I mean, I wouldn't say boo to a goose at the time. It would have been just way beyond me to just casually chat uh-huh. with Tom Jones, you know. <laughs> right.
1: But
2: uh, yeah, I worked with him and Engelbert Humperdinck, Scott Walker. I mean, that was that was an education in I itself. Believe it.
1: I believe it. Yeah, I'm old, and you're rubbing shoulders with these guys. I mean, you've got to be learning a lot, kind of taking a lot to heart on how to be a professional and things like that.
2: Yeah, sure. And yeah. I, I was, uh, and we we were pretty bad. I mean, <laughs> the only reason the only reason we got the gig is because uh, the Chantels' regular backing band had broken up on the eve of a of a German tour of US bases, oh. and they they knew we were rubbish and we knew we were rubbish. But they they kind of really knocked us into shape, and uh, it, enough to actually go out there and. and kind of be okay but really not not brilliant at all. Right.
1: Okay. Um now tell me what I want to hear more about America but I I sort of skipped over this. Apparently John Peel was a big fan of yours and John Peel is a very, you know, that's a name that we all know but I don't know if Americans quite understand uh how much uh, weight that carries when John Wade, or John Peel is a fan of yours. What is that like? Well, yeah, I, I don't suppose
2: he means much in America, but uh, he was a very, very powerful influence, uh, well, certainly on me mm-hmm. and uh, on, on, you know, a lot of my peers and my generation. We uh, we used to tune into him. He was very, uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, uh, he could play music from any particular area. He'd play obscure mm. African music or Bahamian music, uh, and he'd play reggae and he'd play some unlistenable kind of mm-hmm. German music, you know, made with anvils and God knows right. what. And then he'd play, uh, the buzzcocks and he played yeah. the pistols and he played us. And for some reason, yeah, he, uh, he was an unlikely, uh, supporter, but he did, he, you know, having him on our side, we did a lot of live sessions for him. And, uh, it it did really help good. if you had his, his endorsement, you know, that yeah. was a, uh, that was a good thing.
1: Okay. So when you're, uh, when you're in the States, are you hearing mirror <laughs> star on the radio? Are you, I mean, I've, I've heard <coughs> that it was kind of getting bigger in some patches, maybe not enough to crack the top 40, but there were spots where it was doing yeah. really well. Okay.
0: Yeah, sure. There
2: were certain areas I think that were, Oddly enough, in the South, they seem to uh, they seem to like it. We used to get good rotation play. Uh, what I do remember, when we when we landed uh, in New York for our first tour, uh, I, they, the record company sent a limo to pick us up, a kind of stretch limo, and we're settling in the back, and I go, wow,
3: we're in a limo
2: going to New York. And uh, I said, "Oh look, they got a radio." You know, no one had radios in their cars in the oh, UK at
3: interesting.
2: that time. Okay. So, so I, I put it on, and uh, they 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 did a th- a, a, a threefer. You know, uh-huh. of them, straight off the back of each, they played "Number Nine Dream" by John Lennon, followed uh-huh. by "Once Bitten, T- Twice Shy" by Ian Hunter, and then "Work Shy" by us. No way. But, yeah, and I just looked at the others and I said, blimey,
0: they think we're, we're, we're as good as those people.
1: <laughs> what a mind-blowing so experience. Oh, my gosh. It really
0: was, yeah.
2: So we we kind of felt welcome from that, that moment Yeah. On.
1: Okay, wow. And this is, now, your record label, the American record label, I think is Epic, and they take those first yeah. two albums and they take, they sort of, uh, pick and choose some numbers and put it out as Mirror Star, sort of a compilation yeah, album, right? Were those right, songs, yeah. were there, was there any re-recording or remastering involved in that or was it just picking songs that they thought would work in the States in that thing?
2: Well, I I, I shamefully have to admit uh, I, mm-hmm. I did a bit of tweaking on it. Oh really? And yeah, because I, I thought at the time that uh, some of uh, of John Emerson's based on Workshy, was a bit intrusive. So, uh, <laughs> so I, I took yeah. him off. I took him off. and uh, Really? I, I know. It's absolutely stupid, because when I put the, the CD together, uh-huh. uh, which was like 20 years ago, uh, I put it all back on, because I, you know, what a ridiculous sure. thing to do. And I do remember bumping into John in L.A. at a, at a party, and he came up to me and he says, you took my bass off, uh, <laughs> off Workshire, you bastard! And I said, "Sorry, John. Yeah, probably a mistake." <laughs> no way!
1: Yeah, I mean, you have one of the ba- best bass players ever. You probably should leave him oh, on your own. Don't,
2: don't remind me. Don't remind me.
1: No oh, way! Oh my
2: god! I know.
1: Okay. Yeah, I don't know about that one. The arrogance of youth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Um, okay. So then, think pink comes out. And again, are you guys, I don't think if I remember correctly, Think Pink didn't do quite as well. Are you seeing, are things sort of stagnating or plateauing Are how big even are the, are the crowds you're playing to? Uh,
2: yeah. I mean, well, I mean, working with Petty, I mean, Petty really ha- hadn't cracked it big yeah. in America at that time. Uh, it, but, but the album that he was touring with us, uh, Damn the Torpedoes was the first thing that really broke mm-hmm. him in America yep. and but so most of the we, we played like large theatres really okay. uh, with Petty and of course he went on to do arenas and everything mm-hmm. else yep. but uh, but yeah I mean uh, they were great you know we, we mm-hmm. got on really well with them I mean Petty would not be around very much because I didn't know at the time but walk in court trying to extricate oh. himself from a, a record deal with uh
3: right.
2: shelter records uh which you know very fortunately he uh he won yeah but uh, so he'd be arriving late as late as he could to the gig and go bang on and then come back off and so we didn't see a great deal of huh. him you know but,
1: okay uh, what about Mike Campbell yeah, did you good. interact with Mike at all you know he's on in you probably know he's in Fleetwood Mac now yeah yeah i i I saw a clip actually uh yeah Yeah. it looked
2: good you know uh yeah a little bit of chatting with him mainly with stan lynch who was the who was then drummer stan Mm -hmm. was stan was the man you know he really uh, he was really yeah he was funny and we i we i'd hop onto their coach and uh and he would listen to Jimi Hendrix, and he'd point out all the kind of clever shit that uh, <laughs> M- Mitch Mitchell was doing. He'd go, "Oh man, listen to that! He's do- He's got two bass drums going, on and, he's- and he's hitting the hi hat, and he's doing. Oh, it's fucking incredible, man! You know, the, <laughs> yeah, the all of that.
1: Oh, that's great. Okay, but so one th-
2: thing. One thing I do recall about Petty was uh, on the very final date, uh, which was in. Uh, God, what was it? San Bernardino. San, San somewhere in okay. California. Mm-hmm. Uh, not San Jose. Uh, oh, God, I can't remember. But it was the last day, and uh, we, we, we went on, and so I suddenly hear a lot of laughter coming from the crowd. And uh, I turned around, and, and there's Tom there in a Devo suit sweeping the stage.
1: Tom Petty around. in a Devo suit?
2: Yeah, because I think Devo had supported them on the previous tour. Oh. And uh, so he came on, and I, I just howl with laughter. It was just such a funny sight. Wow.
1: <laughs> that blows my mind. I would never, wow, I would never connect those two, but I guess you're right. Sing Tom Petty in a Devo suit. That'd be cool.
3: Um, <laughs>
1: wow. Okay. So the band comes to an end, basically. I don't know if you guys are fighting with each other, or you're sort of tired of mediocrity or it's not happening what what goes into it and then why do you become a comedian
2: oh there's a lot of questions in that question i keep doing that i'm Uh, sorry
1: i put like three or four (laughs) in one i need to slow down i'm sorry (laughs) Uh, that's all right uh well yeah
2: it's 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 all a bit strange because uh we came back and we we were kind of broke you know We, we we basically got Ripped off by the management, you know, classic rock and roll story. And uh, uh, I was, and also we 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 weren't used to doing like three months of solid work, which we did two in a in an eighteen month period, you know. Uh-huh. And uh, I think I think well, certainly I was exhausted, and uh, I I just called it a day, and I I to this to this day I I regret it because really? I think we yeah i think we should have just sort of taken a, a few months off and then reconvened but i think we we were all we were all husks really mm-hmm. we so uh, uh mm-hmm. and then i was i went through a, a you know a, a, basically a nervous breakdown is is what wow. i had and uh Oh, and everything kind of went wrong uh, in my life, you know. Sort of five-year relationship split up. My dad suddenly died.
3: Oh boy! Uh,
2: uh, and I was t- I was doing a lot of coke and stuff. Mm-hmm. It was uh, it, 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 well, it was a horrible period, really. And uh, so I realised I had to get myself together. And uh, a friend of mine said, "Why don't you come down the comic strip in, in Soho?" And uh, he said. W- me and my partner were doing a kind of a comedy music spot in the, in this show and uh, I went along and saw it and I really liked it and uh, I auditioned for it uh, not realising that all, all the people like Rick Mayle and Alexi Sale and mm-hmm. all these people all knew me anyway from the poodles uh, okay. uh, so uh, so I started doing that and then started writing some stand-up and then more comedy songs and uh
1: and it just, yeah, it just it just kind of took its own direction, really. It's interesting. I, I've always thought it was a little... It's too bad that you guys didn't last long enough to make it to the MTV era. Because with your sense of humor, I think it would have... If you had been able to make some videos, I think that would have really kind of upped your profile. Don't you? Do you ever think like that? I do.
2: No, I do. I, I totally agree with you. I, I, I just... I don't think we, we we got to make the record that we were capable of, of no. making which 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 didn't have to be funny or anything it could have been quite serious but uh I wrote you know some pretty serious songs sure. suicide bridge and, and suicide bridge
0: fall of the suicide man Up on suicide braids There's a squad car and a couple of bills There's a priest and a doctor and a guy who's designed his will Way down below it looks like a mile There's a sea of faces and none of them smile Don't jump, don't jump laughing so bad Don't jump
2: You know, I, I just think that, uh, yeah, I, I, I was always very conscious of, uh, of the visuals and everything. Yeah, and we had to, and, and we do uh, routines like uh, the, the the band of shadows who used to do the box walk, and mm. you know, it, 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 yeah, I used to love doing all that because uh, it was it's nice for the audience; it gives them a show.
1: Right. Yeah, I could have seen you guys really excelling. Okay, so somewhere along the line, I heard that you guys became Chuck Berry's backing band. And I've had people on here who have worked with Chuck Berry, and they tell the funniest horror stories I've ever heard. (laughs) Tell me about working with Chuck Berry. Well,
2: we were due to play the Oakland Coliseum to like, uh, God, 10,000 people, whatever, you know. And uh, it was on New Year's Eve. And the manager phoned up and said, Okay, you guys are doing a set. Uh, Peddy's closing. You guys uh, will open with a 40 minute set. Uh, do you feel okay back in Chuck Berry? And I went, Yeah, great, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, then, uh, so then it came around to it. We, di- we did our sound check, and then I said, Hey, let's, let's go and see Chuck. Uh, so we, we went to his dresser and Not. Gingerly on the door, mm-hmm. uh, he spots that we're English and he goes, Oh, come, come, my dear boys, my manager speaks to you people. So we, we, we left thinking, Oh, chucks a wanker, you know. <laughs> uh, it's all true, it's all true what they say. And uh, yes, yeah, so, I. Uh, and then his 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 manager comes in, who happens to be his bass player as well. He's and he is the world's worst bass player. Really? Whereas our bass player would have been great because yeah. Richie Richie could play the crap out of that stuff,
3: you know. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And
2: uh, so 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 it was basically me, Bobby, and Bryn uh, and and this guy, and uh, and Chuck, you know. And he was. Uh, Rishi tuned his guitar for him because it was horribly out of tune, uh-huh. and Chuck, in order to make a statement in front of you know thousands of kids, detuned his guitar I as bet. if to say, "Fuck <laughs> you, yeah. I don't let Liamis tune my guitar."
1: <laughs> so, this is all totally so, in keeping, yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: and I, I, I only recently, a few years ago, heard from uh, from our tour manager Martin. Uh, We were having a drink and a chat, and uh, he said, uh, I I don't think you know this, but I went went to Chuck's dressing room to pick up your money, and he said he was sitting there uh, with this white woman on his lap uh, and a gun on the table, Uh, and I said, oh, Mr. Berry, I've come for, for, for the fabulous poodle's money, and he said he just looked at me with his steely look and picked up the gun, and I said... Oh,
1: don't worry about
2: it. Don't worry about it. Had just left. <laughs> I mean, he was he was oh evil. God. That man was it. evil. I believe
1: it. I believe it. Did but you play with him John just Barry? once, or did you do it more than once?
2: Oh, I, I would never have done it again. no. Really? no okay. Quite enough. Quite okay. enough.
1: And I've heard. Uh, maybe you can attest to this. Like, if it's like he lifts his left leg or something, then that means that's a sign to the band behind him to do a particular thing. Does that sound familiar?
2: Well it, there, there is a bit of that but I've got to say when, when his bass player came in I said so so what, what, what's Chuck doing he says well you know he usually starts with sweet little 16 and then I'm going to carol uh, and then he, he does uh, Johnny be good uh, and then he might do bye bye Johnny and uh, I said well yeah okay but what keys are they in yeah he said he said uh, well if it's uh, if it's carol uh, it'll be d and if it's uh, so-and-so, uh, uh, it'll be in G. And, it, and he said, and if it's uh, your school days, it'll probably be in B-flat. And I said, well, h- how are we going to know? Right. Uh, he's, he said, oh, don't worry, just l- look across the drum riser. I'll be there. And he said, I'll just make the shapes of the, the letters with my hands. <laughs> yeah. And so he'd make a G or E-flat. He said, no not worry, just look at my mouth. I'll go. <laughs> it was just insane.
1: Uh, I've heard all these. But this we is got there. We got there. We just waited
2: for Chuck to go. Then you pick up the four <Yunyi> right. So it, it all, yeah, it was fine. Classic.
1: Oh my God.
2: And Tom Petty, actually, bless him, came up to me afterwards and said, You know, you're the best band I've seen back in Chuck's <laughs> years. I said, Wow, I take that as a compliment.
1: Yeah, good for you. You did as well as anybody could. It sounds like. Oh, that's great. <laughs> <Yeah. clears throat> okay. Um. Now you you I think were on the Young Ones, is that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I know you mentioned Rick and Alexi. I don't. I mean, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Young Ones are sort of this enduring thing in America as well. It's not like it's. They were on MTV for a while and they have a real cult following even still to this day. How did this happen? Really? Yeah, I, yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. People who know love the young ones. They are, it's a, right. It's kind of a cult thing here. What? How did this happen for you?
2: Well, that, that directly came out of my uh, joining the comic strip okay. because the comic strip was also a oh, team of right. people like French and Saunders and yes. uh, uh, ben Elton became part of it. And uh, a, a lot of people who, who became like big comedy stars, you know, Rick, I mean, mm-hmm. Rick Mail was, was massive over here. I mean, yeah. absolutely adored. He was great. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I got, you know, I just got pally with them. Uh, and they just said, uh, uh, Rick called me up one Sunday morning and he said, uh, he said, uh, Ronnie, because that's my adopted name, Ronnie mm-hmm. Golden. Right, uh, He said, uh, do you fancy a drink? Uh, come over the King's Ed in Islington. And I said, yeah, sure. Uh, I said, but yeah, well, what's this about? He said, well, you know, we're doing this series called The Young Ones. And I said, yeah, I've heard about it. Yeah, He said, well, you really like Buddy Holly, don't you? And I said, I love him, yeah. Mm-hmm. He said, well, I don't. I think he's a complete wimp. <laughs> he said, uh, I, I'm, I'm a Gene Vincent and Elvis man. You know, mm-hmm. I like the tough guys. Uh, so he said, anyway, we've got this, we've written this scene into it where Buddy Holly's crash landed head first through the roof of Mike's room
3: right. and he's
2: all tangled up in a parachute and he's been there for like 21 years and uh, <laughs> living off insects in the room. Uh, so, and then uh, the, one of the cords breaks and he crashes head first through the floorboards and dies. Uh, I said, right. And he said, you won't want to do that then, will you? And I said, of course I will.
1: <laughs> Stupid.
3: Yes. So
1: I did, and it, it it's become mildly legendary, yeah. you know. Yeah, I remember it. Yeah. I was so fascinated. And I forgot all about the comic strip, but I, if I remember correctly, on Sunday nights, on MTV, they would do the young ones and then they would do the comic strip. And I was always kind of confused. I was a little kid. I was confused by the comic strip. I didn't quite understand the the humor there. But the young ones spoke to me. I loved that yeah. back
2: in the day. Well, you, you know, if you were young, uh, it, it, it played to your childish sense of humor, really. Right. It was a lot of fart mm-hmm. jokes. Uh, just a lot of very, very violent physical comedy, which yeah. kids love. Of course. Uh, whereas the comic strip was more parochial and political in lots of ways, mm-hmm. so you probably it, you it was very clever, but you probably wouldn't have picked up on. Yeah,
1: that. it was kind of over my head. I was probably twelve. Yeah, you know, something yeah, like that. Well, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you've carved out this long career in comedy for yourself. I don't know if you continue to do music. It, tell us about your comedy. I mean, summarize your comedy career of the last 35 years for us <laughs> oh, if you can't I'll, I'll tell you i was looking it up and it's mostly things that are very uk specific and so i wasn't that familiar with them you know what i mean
2: yeah yeah well i always say in my case the word career is a verb <laughs> it's a kind of careering downhill there's right? i've never had any kind of uh any work ethic or any plans in, in, in any way, you know. I just yeah. I pick up work as I as I get it. Uh, I still do. I still do a, a few comedy gigs live, but not not that much. I've lost interest in it a lot. Hmm. But I still write songs. Uh, I wrote uh, and I I had a band which 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 still. We hardly ever do gigs, but when we do, they're brilliant. It's like a '60s soul band. Uh, mm. It's called Ronnie and the Rex yeah. R E X. And uh, yes, yeah, so you can you can probably hear a few things. So if you get on my, my website, which is uh, www.ronniegolden.r Ronnie golden one word dot com, uh, and you go to a uh, jukebox. Uh, that's got a selection of uh, Roddy and the Wreck songs. It's kind of stack-sounding cool. kind of stuff. you Love know. that.
0: See the man in even clothes? How he got here, I don't know why. Man, you wanna see him go Just stand the night away He's dancing with a chicken slack See the movement up and back Man there ain't nothing like to stand the night away. Yeah! twist them, twist everybody's them, great Oh man, twist them, twitch them, twist them the night away.
1: Are you still writing? what you? I, I believe his name was Barry Cryer. I don't. I didn't know who he was, but I looked it up on YouTube, and there you guys are talking to Pierce Morgan um, about something oh, you've God. written. Pierce, yeah, let's. <laughs> I'll, I'll. I won't get into how I feel about Pierce Morgan, but anyway, go ahead. Oh please,
2: please! I, I really had to be crowbarred into that studio. I hate the man.
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: The, oh, kind of we do all too. do.
2: Good, but no. Uh... Yeah, Barry Cryer he's he's this kind of comedy legend. Uh he's he's coming up to eighty four. Oh wow. and uh I mean sadly he's in hospital at the moment uh he, he fell over in the street and fractured his hip. Ooh. But uh I think he's uh, he's gonna be okay. But Barry's great. He's he's a wonderful, generous, lovely man to work with and uh yeah, we've done we've written a lot of comedy songs and okay. bits and pieces. Uh he's yeah he's just he's always up for it he's 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 a good lad you know
1: good um and you've been able to sustain yourself and because we try to try to touch on the business side of things on here you've been able to you know pay your bills through a fairly successful comedy career for almost 40 years now
2: sure but it's uh it's 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 a slog it's really? it's still a real slog you know, because it, everything changes as as you know better yeah. than anyone probably the music scene mm-hmm. has changed so much that even Prince and, and people of his stature yeah. had to just go out and just play concerts because yeah. it's the only way to make any money yeah, uh, yeah. because the, the the product is is downloadable mm-hmm. and stealable so. So you, you've got that kind of problem. And also with, with, with comedy, I mean, when I started getting into it, I suppose in my late 20s, uh, it, was, it, it was an old man's game. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when I was a kid, you listened to the comedians and they'd be in their 50s and 60s. They were the tail end of the music hall era. I mean, I loved a lot of them. I thought they were really funny. But mm-hmm. then suddenly we came up and it was like a revolution
3: yeah
2: uh people were doing stuff about politics and surreal stuff and uh and we were all young yeah uh and now of course <laughs> i'm an oldie <laughs> and mm-hmm. the young ones are coming up you know it's it, it's a very different scene and as i say I, I don't feel i don't feel i belong with it as much as uh mm. as i did it does, doesn't excite me as much
1: yeah so what uh i mean i don't even know is there much of a call for a fabulous poodles reunion do you guys ever do that what are your options well, at this stage well there, there
2: there have been I we still get a, I, I get a lot of stuff to my website from oh, people saying oh uh, <clears throat> you, you know you you were the fabulous poodles and uh, any thoughts about reforming and uh, I I absolutely refused to do it for years and years I thought you know you see these old clips of yourself uh from years ago when yeah. you're all young and vital i went oh it's gonna look terrible and four old blokes getting out <laughs> on stage but now i kind of think i think you know, as long as we all kind of feel good about it i'd be happy to do it the the only problem is Richie, the bass player uh i've i've mooted it to him and he uh he's he's really not up for it mm. he uh He's he's in, in more of a spiritual life the, mm. these days. He uh, he meditates and he spends a lot of time in India, and it doesn't fit in with his uh, mm. his kind of his uh, his attitude. So uh, so you know we will have to get a, another bass player, but yeah. I, I think Bobby's kind of up for it. Good. Uh, he's he's not been well, so we got to we got to wait for him to uh, to fully recover. And Bryn, the drummer, is is up for it. So Good. Uh, I think I just, I'd love to try it. So yeah. do two or three gigs and see how we felt about it. And then uh, who knows? Yeah. Try and get some agents along. And uh, I mean, I do. I kind of think because we weren't trying to be trendy yeah. and punk rock, we were just doing what we wanted to do. And I think largely the songs stand up. They're yeah. uh, they're a kind of, it's a broad spectrum of styles and, uh, and some of it's humorous and some isn't. Uh, but I think they're good songs and I think they still stand up. So I'd be quite I, happy to play them.
1: I agree. Good, that's great. By the way, what, what is Ronnie Golden? I've read different accounts as to why you, had, why you changed your name. What is that?
2: <sighs> uh, well, it, it came from our final tour. We did a final tour of the UK and uh, we had to have uh, a, a, an opening act. And we, they didn't want to have a full band because there's too much, you know, moving gear around and everything. And I said, let's get Ronnie Golden. And they said, well, who's he? I said, he's brilliant. He's really funny. <laughs> and uh, he does a solo thing and he does some old songs. And the, I said, and they went, blimey, I've never heard of him. Who is he? I said, it's me. <laughs> I, 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 I just fancy doing it. And so I would go on opening for, for the Poodles in a straw hat and a Bermuda shirt and uh, very garish uh-huh. and dark glasses. And most of the audiences didn't even know it was me. Uh, and so I, I, <laughs> I remember going to see the club owner in, uh, in Sheffield, we'd done the Limit Club. And he said, I'm not paying you. Uh-huh. And I said... Well, no. the The deal is, you pay me forty quid. Mm-hmm. He said, "I'm not. You're in bloody band. You're in bund. <laughs> I'm not paying you. You can't." I said, "Well, it doesn't make any difference. I still did forty minutes. Right? I'm not playing." And then he sends the boys in. You know, the bouncers. Uh-huh. They could me against the wall, and in the end, I had to go. Yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> oh,
1: that's great. Did you just make that name up on the spot?
2: No, it was it was the name of uh, my old school friend, Jerry his His father's best friend was Ronnie Golden, who was like a i don't know a used car salesman or something and uh I always thought it was a, a good a good funny name for comedy yeah because uh you know Tony Demur sounds like a Vegas crooner or something mm-hmm. you know <laughs> uh, where Whereas Ronnie
1: Goldwyn is like, you know, sounds a like a bit of a lad, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like that. Good one. Okay. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention for anyone who's unfamiliar with uh, some of the, sort of the, who all was in the the Fabulous Poodles, Bryn Burrows went on to be the drummer for Frewer and then Underworld, which I just find shocking. At least the first Underworld album. And Bobby Valentino is the brother of Ann Dudley from articles yes that's crazy yes. <laughs> that's just crazy to me i my favorite thing about doing this podcast is to kind of connect these dots that's why i ask so many questions yeah. like who you knew and who you hung out with because i just find that fascinating that the guy i'm talking to knows or react you know acted out with all these other people and i find that kind of stuff really interesting <laughs> interesting okay well i want to throw out some questions that the uh, listener hub Rajel that um that requested you th- ask me to ask you number one right uh, apparently Frank Zappa has a song called the mud club that mentions the fabulous poodles are you aware of this I am aware of it uh
0: yeah
3: it's
0: potential to hey, rebellion really on the floor, on the, fight mountain, all the- Cause I go every time I've been town. If you never try to let me straighten you out It's the best kind of place to unfasten yourself Mud Club, all the way downtown Mud Club, they ain't messing around Mud Club, just turn to the left and look around Because it's there somewhere If you ain't found it, better hurry up because the folks down there is on auto-destruct and so can you be too. The fact of the matter, it's made for you. Try it on a Saturday about four o'clock in the morning or even on a Monday at midnight when there's just a few of them fabulous poodles doing the peppermint twist for real in a black sack dress with nine inch heels and then a guy with a blue Bohawk comes in in serious leather. And all of the rest of whom for which to win, so somebody a
2: pointed me to it and it's, uh, and, and there's a line in one of the verses which is, and those fabulous poodles doing the peppermint twist. Uh, and it's a capital F and a capital P, so he obviously, uh, you know, right. I, I think he he knew who we were, and I think a lot of people thought that we next thing poodle buy its poodle choose it, but that that wasn't the case.
3: Uh-huh.
2: It, our our inspiration came, as I said, from somewhere else. But the very idea that <laughs> we're mentioned in a Zappa song that fills me with
1: joy isn't that crazy? Good for you. I mean, yeah, that's a that's a crazy legacy. Um, And then another question he wanted to ask me about or wanted me to ask you about specifically was the talk box function that Bobby would often use on his violin. Where does this, I mean, you know, Peter Frampton was getting famous sort of doing similar things, but were you guys just experimenting with the thing and thought this sounds cool or how does this become, you know, introduced into the music? Do you know that's a very good question.
2: I, can't actually answer it fully because i don't remember the the first time that he used it 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 was certainly used by Frampton at that time and 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 we were all aware of it and i think bobby just got one for a laugh and just uh and and just started playing through it and it really worked on mirror starts like a train going through or something
1: yeah okay he was just curious where that sort of idea came from uh, Jill, well, I, I, I want to show you yeah I want to close this out with a couple questions I ask everybody and number one I'm curious if you have any regrets over your career if there's any you know any decisions you made you mentioned one earlier about kind of shutting the band down sooner than you probably should have uh and then I but I also want to know just what is your most amazing memory you know you've done so much you've been in this show business for so long what are some of the, <laughs> the best well, on the fringe, maybe, <laughs> of show business, but you've been in there, you know, doing it. What are some of your favorite memories from this period? Oh, boy. There's
2: so many. I mean, uh, so many.
1: And I have so many regrets.
2: I don't really? even know where to start.
3: Oh, man. boy. Huh. Uh, oh, you
2: know, I turned down work that, you know, could have led on to other things. I had a possibility of being in a in a, in a theatrical piece, and I agreed to do something at the Edinburgh Festival and I couldn't do it. Who knows? That that could have taken me more theatrically yeah. uh, in, in, into that world, which I've always wanted to do acting and stuff. But, it, you know, you can't really kind of... I mean, for instance, uh, I, things tend to come in through the side door. You know, you're looking at the front door, thinking, "Well, I hope that comes through." Uh, and something comes through the side door, through the living room. You don't, yeah. you just don't know. Uh, for instance, I was doing the Edinburgh Festival. I was doing a, a show with Barry Cryer. I was doing a couple of weeks up there, and uh, James, uh, my friend, is a fantastic uh, keyboard player. He said, uh, "Are you going up to Edinburgh?" And I said, "Yeah, I'm going up with Barry for a couple of weeks." He said, oh, do, "Do you fancy doing a, a play?" And I said, well, what's that? And he said, it's a musical play, uh, uh, and you'd have to play the part of this guy called Prince Royale, mm-hmm. who, uh, who's a kind of debauched, womanizing, drug-taking alcoholic. And I said, well, I'm going to have to do a lot of research. <laughs> of
3: course. <laughs>
2: Got to be, gotta be <laughs> so, ready. So, yeah. so I, I turned up to the, to the reading, and they went, yeah, great. That right, would be brilliant. So, so I did that. And it was a lot of fun, and I got to sing a lot of blues stuff for uh, what's his name? Um, uh, oh God! Uh, just uh, Fats Waller, mm. uh, just a, a load of really great blues stuff. And uh, and then the producer writer said he'd uh, sold it as a as a screenplay to this German film company. He wanted to do it as a, a kind of low. A low rent uh, Hollywood movie. So uh, initially, I was going to be in it, and then it, it, they got this uh, uh, this this guy called Toledo Diamond, who uh, who's basically a black guy from LA, a, a dancer. Uh, who was great? We, mm-hmm. we actually did a gig with him in uh, in New Orleans, mm-hmm. and uh, he was great. And he would would wipe the floor with me. I mean, right. he was he was just perfect for it. But I got, I said, look, you can't be doing old blues songs, you know. I said, why don't James and I write, you know, a soundtrack for you that that will apply to all the the narrative? And he said, well, okay, see see what you got. So we sent him like two or three songs in a day that we we'd written and he mm-hmm. really loved them. So we carried on. I, I did, I wrote some on my own and James wrote some on his own. And, uh, I, uh, I wrote this thing for, for the woman in the piece who was, uh, she was sick and tired of being with this guy who was an alcoholic and again, womanizing and all mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. So she, uh, she, she, she just had enough, and so I wrote the song called "Too Much Juice." Daddy's been drinking again, and I, mm-hmm. I I I knocked it up in my living room in about an hour, uh, and I I turned it in, expecting them all to say, "Oh, come on, you know you're taking the piss," right. uh, and I and I said, and they everyone went, "Oh, it's great," and then it moves on, and James calls me up and he says, "You bastard!" Mm-hmm. I said, "Why? What what have I done?" He said looks like aretha franklin's gonna do too much juice i said you are kidding and this kind of went on for a while and then we got flown over to city vegas which for the kind of premiere of the film and uh i, I said to to, to george uh, the the md who's african-american guy a lovely bloke I said, "What's happening with Aretha?" Then, and he said, "Ah, oh, we gave up on her. She just was demanding too much. We had to fly the band out to Detroit and put them up in hotels. And ah, oh, it's too much hassle." And I went, "Oh no!" He said, "But we got Shaka Khan to do it." I said, "Yes." Oh. I said, "I said she'd be much better. She's not a, the, the daughter of a preacher,
3: and,
2: <laughs> and she's 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 had drug problems, and and she she understands all that." So they they got. Uh, Jack to record it for the soundtrack and I got a uh, long listed for uh, for an Oscar for it.
0: Round about six, looking your best. Got a shine on your shoes and a watch in your vest. Come calling home, baby. Looking like a dog in the rain. Had too much juice.
1: Really? yes wow yeah oscar nominated i am good for you man who knew that's crazy I know, it's
2: crazy
3: good
1: for you i know
2: and as, as soon as i heard her sing it I, I thought oh i wish i'd taken more time over this yeah
3: well who knew? <laughs> it's just
2: not good enough <laughs> but you know she uh she made it sound great so uh, hey
1: good for you. Oh, that's great. By the way, speaking of good for you, I you lastly you had this little bit of trivia on your website that blew me away. The Fabulous Poodles sold more records in the states in the late 70s than the Sex Pistols and the Clash, is that right?
2: Uh then uh well, then the Jam and the Clash. Oh, the actually.
1: Jam and the Clash. Okay.
2: Yeah, but, you know, it's it's not that big a deal because, uh, I, I mean, the jams certainly weren't touring there and the mm. Clash were just trying to get their toe in the door, uh, even though they wrote songs like uh, I'm So Bored with the USA. Right. They obviously weren't that bored. Right. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, but you know, they I don't think they were getting plays, really, on the radio. So uh, yeah. so we, we got in ahead of them, really.
1: Well, good. Still, that's, a, that's an interesting little feather in your cap. That's very cool. Well, uh, yeah. T- Tony, look, I've had a fascination with you for many years, and I'm really grateful that you talked to me and shared your story. And I'm thankful that I found your obscure record in a record store and felt so compelled with having to know <laughs> what the story behind this record was that I started a thing that's made me very happy. And I've got to talk to hundreds of rock stars, and shared it with thousands of people. And so thank you for everything Oh, that's everything great! Yeah.
2: I'm, I'm very, very pleased that, uh, that that we were useful to you. You, was,
1: you were useful to me, absolutely. Um, if I could also say, uh, yeah. John,
2: that um, uh, if people want to catch up with anything that I'm doing at the moment, uh, you can find me on YouTube under the name Ronnie Golden, R-O-N-N-I-E, Golden and uh, there's some stuff uh, live stuff from New York just just me and an acoustic guitar and there's a there's a lovely little video which uh, some friends of mine from Dallas put together uh, when when I was in New York uh called and that's called uh uh oh god what's it called Re- rewind it's called okay. rewind okay and it's a really sweet little video um which I think people will enjoy Yeah, so you can hear me do like mirror star and various things uh, just acoustically
1: cool I saw you on there doing and I'm googling it now because uh, cry me a river You do this very beautiful strip. I was not prepared for that I'm thinking I'm gonna listen to you make a joke out of it But you do this very beautiful straightforward cry me a river
0: You see You cry the whole night through Well, you can cry me a river Cry me a river I cried a river over you Now see you sorry for being so untrue well you can cry me a river cry me a river I cried a river
2: Well, ah. you've, you've got to know when when not to take the piss.
3: Yeah, you know point. what I mean? Yeah.
2: You, 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 you know, it's, it's, you can't make everything a joke. You, you, you know, some things are, are too serious to mess with, and that's a beautiful song.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I think my favorite song of yours is Cherche La Femme. There you have it, Tony Demur. I, I meant what I said. I that Finding that record in that pawn shop at that time before starting this podcast was one of those building blocks that was just hitting me over the head. Where in the world do these people go? You know, the original idea for this podcast was going into some random record store, not a sexy one, a weird one, pulling out the strangest album that you've never seen or heard from before and just thinking, where are these guys? I gotta find these people on this record right now. That was the impetus for this po- for this podcast. And here we are. I finally talked to one of the guys. Like Henry Gross. If anyone went back and listened to the Henry Gross episode, I think that was 101. Uh, I tell- similar story. Just finding these obscure records and thinking, who in the world are these people? Anyway, thank you, Hub, for the suggestion and for turning my mind back on to the Fabulous Poodles. Now, next week, I am not 100% sure. Um, I had mentioned before possibly talking to Bobby Brown or New Edition slash Bell Biv DeVoe that is still in the works. It may have happened by next week. I don't know. Uh, If it doesn't, what I'm going to do is we're going to run an interview. I'm kind of excited about this one. It is The Voice. So it's a movie everyone has seen. Everybody has seen this movie. And it has a very famous musical number within this movie. Well, this is the guy who sang that musical number. I'm going to leave it at that. I may have just given it away. But that's the story we're going to tell next week, and I'm really excited for you to hear it. Uh, huge thanks, as always, to Yan the Man Makiewicz, my right hand man, for putting everything together. Thanks, buddy. You guys know how to find us by now. You can find us on Facebook and like our page. Send us a message on there. You can send us an email at thehustlepod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at thehustlepod. And uh, we're almost, we have one more bonus episode coming up in a few days. Yan and I's recap of the year so far is going to be there. And then, uh, You know, I think we might just take a little break. March was busy. A lot of episodes in March. Anyway, thanks, everybody. We'll talk to you soon.